Let's turn together to John 21 today as we go to God's word. We've, uh, we've come through several months of going through John's gospel together as a church family, and it's been a fun adventure. We're coming to the end of that today. And so the central character here in the last chapter of John's gospel, chapter 21, is a guy named Peter. Um, well, Jesus is, is always the central character, but the person he's most interacting with here in chapter 21 is Peter. And we've seen Peter um, throughout the book. What we've seen about Peter, I like Peter. I think Peter's a great guy. But to this point, Peter has had more zeal than wisdom. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've got a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement about some, something that's important to you, but you lack the knowledge, the skill, the know-how, the wisdom to accomplish that. That's really who Peter is at this point in the story. Um, you see some of those examples of that zeal without knowledge uh, in John's Gospel, in chapter 13, when Jesus is going and washing the feet of his, his disciples, and he gets to Peter, and Peter's kind of dumbfounded, and he, he says, you're, you're going to wash my feet? This is the most menial task that any servant could ever do, and you, the Lord, are going to wash my feet? And, Peter, er, and Jesus says, yeah, unless I wash you, you can have no part in me. And then Peter, in his zeal, says, well, then, Lord, not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. And he gets excited. And then a little later in that chapter, he again pro professes his all-in heart toward Jesus. And he says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And that proclamation that maybe a little bit bold, a little bit zealous, maybe a little bit arrogant, Jesus replies to that and says, will you? The rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Then in chapter 18, as uh, the, the story is leading to the cross, it says Peter drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant named Melchus and cut off his right ear. And then again, Jesus had to rebuke him. Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter, again, zealous but, but lacking in knowledge, lacking in wisdom. And then the, the chapter just prior to the one we're reading today in chapter 20, when there's news that comes back to the disciples that the tomb is empty, the stone has been rolled away, the body is not there, Peter and the other disciple, the author of John's Gospel, no doubt, are both running toward the tomb, and the other disciple arrives first, but then it's Peter who, as, as the other disciple is looking into the tomb, Peter just rushes right on in. And he's zealous, and he, he wants to be there where the action is. We're going to see that continue on here in chapter 21. Maybe, maybe you're a bit like Peter. Maybe you've got the opposite problem, where you could use a little bit of Peter's zeal and enthusiasm and activity and action. Uh, maybe you've got plenty of wisdom and knowledge, and it's time to put that into practice. Well, Jesus can help you no matter where you're at on that spectrum, and he comes to Peter in his zeal, and he begins to add wisdom and knowledge that he needs to fulfill God's plan in his life. So let's take a look here as, as Jesus appears to his disciples. This isn't the first time that he's appeared to them after his resurrection. It's actually the third time. But let's take a look at this story here in, in chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Sounds like a, a good group of guys. 
They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to, the, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about 100 yards off. So once again, you've got Peter, zealous, impetuous. Um, you know, he, he, he's like, all right, I'm diving in. I want to get over to where Jesus is. I'll swim the 100 yards. You guys can catch up with me later. And there he is, right, right, uh, right there in Jesus' presence. He's... Uh, followed by the rest of the, the, other, the other six disciples that are there at, on this occasion. And they're about to join Jesus on the beach. Listen to what happens next in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Man, I, I don't know about you, but a fireside beach breakfast with Jesus sounds pretty good. What a great way to start the day. Uh, a meal that he has prepared. Did you notice that Jesus already had some fish and bread that he was preparing before the, the catch came in? Does that remind you of anything else we saw in John's Gospel, the day that Jesus took the loaf and the, and the, and the, lo the loaves and the fish uh, that the little boy had and he multiplied them and fed a crowd of 5,000? Once again, Jesus is providing, he's nourishing, he's caring for his disciples. He still provides all that is needed to feed and nourish those who follow him. But he's also the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who sends laborers into the fields that are ripe for the harvest. And he's the one who takes fishermen and transforms them into fishers of men. And he involved these disciples on that day. He didn't just snap his fingers and have 153 fish on the beach. He could have done that. He had multiplied many more fish than that on the day that he fed the 5,000. But he's involving the disciples in this ongoing work of building for his kingdom. Cast the net on the other side and allows them to be a part of his kingdom mission. And that catch, it was not related to the disciples' skill. You know, these guys have been out fishing all night and caught nothing. This was related to the Lord's provision. And God provided. Now, a lot of people look at that number 153 and want to know what is the significance of that number 153. I have no clue. But I've got about 10 theories that if you really want to geek out, we could look at that together. Um, what, I, what I've come to is, is to say it's probably not 
such a big deal about that particular number. If, there, if all these like really smarter than me theologians can't agree on why that number is in there, maybe that our, our eyes shouldn't be focused so much on that number. In fact, in the story itself, the point is that there were many fish, that the net was not torn, that it was a miraculous provision from the Lord. Probably it's the number 153 just to show that this actually happened in real space-time. Like someone counted the fish because it was so shocking that they wanted to document, go, I was there. There were 153 fish that day. That's the best explanation I can give you. Uh, I don't know that there's any you know, magical properties to the number 153. Uh, but it is interesting that there it is. It's, it's not just some symbolic spiritual meaning. This actually happened, that Jesus provided and multiplied and the disciples were there as eyewitnesses to see him continuing to work. Now, there's some other interesting elements here where earlier we, we found out in verse 6 that the net was so full they were not able to haul it in. Who was in the boat? Seven disciples, including Peter. Uh, Peter and six other guys could not haul the net in, and so they used the boat to drag it to shore. But then you get to verse 11, and what does it say there? It says that once, uh, once Peter swam ahead of the boat, the boat followed them to shore. Now in verse 11, Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. Uh, looks like some supernatural strength from the Lord uh, that after swimming for 100 yards, Peter was able to go and drag these 153 fish to shore without tearing the net. Not sure on that one either, but there it is. You know, it's, it's in the story, and God is at work. There's a, an opportunity to connect with Jesus. But we're going to see as we continue on the dialogue that happens between Peter and Jesus that despite Peter's strength, despite Peter's zeal, despite his enthusiasm, he still lacks wisdom. He lacks knowledge. There's a, 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 an ongoing conversation with the risen Lord that is required in order for Peter to acquire that wisdom that he needs to couple together with his zeal. There's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's needed in the book of Acts, the very next book as you turn the page, uh, from, from the end of the Gospels into the, into the book of Acts. That Holy Spirit working in his life and transforming him over time God even using the pain and the circumstances in his life to orchestrate and to shape him and put within him that knowledge and wisdom that he needs to add to his zeal so that he can become the rock upon which God's kingdom is built. Paul's prayer in Romans 10 echoes that tension between wisdom and knowledge. It's a prayer for anyone who would seek to build something on their own righteousness. Uh, maybe, maybe as you look at yourself, you, I, hope, I hope you can see some good characteristics and traits. I hope that when you go to that job interview and they say, tell me about your strengths, I hope you've got some things to list there. But I hope that that list, whatever your strengths are, whatever your zeal, your attributes, your characteristics that you have, I hope that isn't the foundation of your hope. Paul prays in Romans 10 for people who have put hope in their own righteousness. And his prayer for them is recognizing and acknowledging they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And he's praying for 
the people of Israel, but I'd say by extension to anyone who would try to have a my righteousness path to God, a my righteousness path towards sin forgiven. And we're all tempted to do that at times. So today we pray that God will add to our zeal, to our energy, to our enthusiasm, the knowledge and wisdom that only he gives. We need him. We need him at every step of the way. And now Peter's about to have that driven home to him as he meets with Jesus face to face. Uh, As we go to this next uh, section here, beginning in verse 15, remember what's already happened in the story in John's gospel. Remember that Peter had, as Jesus foretold, denied Jesus three times. That's in chapter 18. Three times different individuals come up to him, groups of people come up. One of them says, you're not one of this man's disciples, are you? I'm not. You're not also one of his disciples, are you? No, I'm not. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed, just as Jesus had foretold. So there's three denials of Jesus. Right after those three denials, Peter has three days to think about what he has said and done. To remember and have the words of Jesus echoing in his ears and in his mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you know me. And now he's hearing his own cowardice, all of his zeal gone, questioning, wondering, what were those past three years with Jesus all about? We saw the miracles. We heard the teaching. And now he's been crucified. Now he's gone. And I turn my back on him during the trial, during the crucifixion. I denied that I even know him. Three days to to agonize over those actions and words. And now we've just read that this is now the third appearance of Jesus to the disciples after he got up from the grave. Three times now Peter has seen Jesus. He's been with him and yet there hasn't been that conversation that needs to happen. And now, finally, it's not just Peter and the other disciples seeing Jesus, interacting with him. It's it's a one-on-one with Jesus and Peter and there's three questions that Jesus is going to pose to Peter. So let's take a look here in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, that, that question is a bit ambiguous, right? Like, you could take that a few different ways. Do you love me more than these other guys love me? Do you love me more than you love these other guys? Do you love me more than uh, 153 fish, right? So it's a bit ambiguous. I think the only possibility that makes sense is that the other disciples are right there, and this would fit in with the rest of the book best, that, that Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Peter's always been the one that's, I'm the first one to swim to shore. I'm the first one to speak up and say, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. Peter, are you, are you going to stay in that zealous, I'm going to go first approach and profess your love for me? And then Peter replies like this, yes, Lord, You know that I love you. He said to him, Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, 
tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus is in, in this questioning, in this dialogue with Peter. He's inviting Peter to layer some new words on top of those words that Peter has already spoken. Remember those words that we looked at from chapter 18 where Peter said, no, no, I, I wasn't with him. No, I don't know him. I deny him. Three times he made statements like that. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you an opportunity to layer some new words on top of those words. You know, the thing about words is you can't, not, I, I don't know anyone who's got a, a flux capacitor who's been able to bend space-time and go back and, and actually wipe out something you said in the past, maybe a, a, a clicker with a, with a rewind button. We wish we had that at times, that we could take the words back in. We can never do that. And yet grace gives you an opportunity to layer some new words on top of those words that you've spoken, maybe words that are hurtful, destructive, untrue, painful, words like, I don't know him, I wasn't with him, I deny him. And Jesus is giving him, with grace, three opportunities to layer some new words on top of those words that were spoken. Three denials, now three affirmations of love. Um, a lot has been written about this little passage, the two different Greek words used for love here in this passage. That's a theme that we as a church have been looking at this year as we seek to obey Jesus' command to love one another. By this, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. John 13 and John 15, those commands that Jesus gives. What does love mean? Love is more than goosebumps and tingles, right? It's more than an emotional thing. We've looked this year as a church at two aspects of love, looking at some of the Greek words that are used. The first one was affection back in the spring. Then over the summer, we looked at that word phileo, the basis of the city of Philadelphia, brotherly love or friendship. Uh, next month, we're going to take a look at one that affects husbands and wives or those that may be in that category someday, intimacy, eros love. And then uh, towards the end of the year, we'll look at that word agape, uh, which, you know, you've heard, heard that to be unconditional love, right? So in this passage, the words agape and phileo are used. Two times Jesus says to, to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape there. Peter responds, yes, I love you, but he responds with the word phileo. And then the third time Jesus says, do you love me? He uses the word phileo. And the third time, Peter says, yes, you know that I love you, using phileo. So a lot of people have wondered, like, is there significance to, you know, was Jesus saying, do you love me with agape love? And Peter's going, no, I only love you with phileo love. Uh, is, is, it, is it a degree of love that we're talking about here? Is, what exactly is going on with those two words? I would say 
not much. It's, again, it's kind of like the number 153. It's not as exciting as, as you might think it to be. Those two words are actually used interchangeably in John and other passages. So agape and phileo for John seem to pretty much mean love. It's, it's really no deeper than that. Um, a couple of examples that you could look up yourself if you're a geek like me and you get into this kind of thing. Um, you could go back and, and look at um, the love that Jesus has for Lazarus. Both, both examples are used there where there's the phileo love and the agape love that's used there. The love that the, the father has for the son the Father loves the Son. That phrase in John sometimes uses agape, sometimes uses phileo. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved that comes up several times uses both words as well. So it doesn't seem like there's a significant difference in the meaning of, of that word as John uses it or as we can understand it. In fact, even in, as you look at Peter's response, Peter's not uh, protesting or disturbed about the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. What's, what's big in Peter's mind is what Jesus knows. Did you notice that? In every one of Peter's responses, he's not emphasizing the kind of love that he, Peter, has, but the fact that Jesus already knows the answer to the question. Jesus, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. Finally, you know all things. You know that I love you. And it's really Peter, Peter's point is on Jesus knowing excuse me, knowing, not on Peter's loving. You know everything. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement, a submission to Jesus. There's also some echoes to the denial in there because Peter knows that the Lord knows about his denials as well. And Jesus is asking him a question that he already knows the answer to. Peter's coming with humility, with an acknowledgement, with an affirmation of love as he layers those new words over the old words. And in Jesus, now, did you notice the sequence here? So there's the question, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. And then Jesus gives a command. The command is in verb form. It's not noun form. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He gives Peter some actions, not some nouns to designate a position. Peter, be a pastor. Have a title. Have a position. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's putting him into action. If you love me, verb. There's some activity that's required to flesh that out. There's also a reminder of whose sheep and lambs these are. Jesus is not saying to Peter, feed your sheep, feed your lambs, go make your disciples, your followers, He's reminding Peter, the, the, the disciples that are to be made are my disciples. You're an under-shepherd. You, you have a, a task that's important. It's charged by the Lord himself, and yet uh, it's, it's a delegated position. All authority is God's authority. All glory is his. And the verbs and the reminder, my sheep, my flock, that's a reminder of the humble posture of one who serves the Lord. So Jesus, I think, I think really in giving Peter those verbs, giving him a task, entrusting Peter with the care of Jesus' own sheep, that's a better restoration move than anything else Jesus could have done. You know, he could have said, Peter, I forgive you. You know, what was said when you denied me? 
we're going to let that go and, and, and we're going to start fresh from right here. But really, by Jesus saying, Peter, I have work for you to do. It's important work. It's carrying on, carrying on my work among my flock and my sheep. What better way for Jesus to restore Peter than to say, I still have a kingdom purpose for you despite your past flaws, despite your weaknesses, despite your rejection of me. There's important work for you in my kingdom. What about you today? What is the lie that you've been believing about your past flaw, mistake, struggle, sin issue, doubt, fear? What is it that's disqualified you from being used by God in his kingdom work? Because that's a tool that the enemy loves to use. You know, oh, well, you blew it that one time. God could never use you. You're inadequate. And there's comparing and competing that creeps in as well. We'll see that at the end of the chapter. Maybe it's looking across the room at another believer and go, yeah, they never denied Jesus. So obviously he could use them, but what about me? What is that past failure that keeps you from joyfully serving King Jesus? And maybe today, just as we prayed at the end of worship, to be reminded of his love, of his finished work, of the redemption and restoration that's ours because of what Jesus did, maybe you need that face-to-face encounter with Jesus, just like Peter had, that you can show your love for him and profess your love for him and obey him and get that verb that he's got for you that's actually going to put you in a place of being used in his kingdom to grow people that he loves for his kingdom's sake. He knows that you love him, just as he did with Peter. And he's got some verbs just for you. So go to him and pray to him and take that past failure and lay it before him. Layer some new words on of professing your love for him, of, of declaring once again that he's your Lord and see where he takes you. So Jesus ends that, ends that conversation by saying, Peter, follow me. And remember, there's some, other, there's some other dudes around. You know, this is a public restoration that's happening. There's six other disciples that were on the boat. They saw Peter swimming. They may not be directly overhearing the conversation, but they see Jesus pulling Peter aside and they're having this dialogue. Maybe they can actually hear the words that are spoken as he says, do you love me more than these other guys? And it's a public restoration in community with his fellow disciples. And so in that context, you know, these disciples know about Peter's denial and now they see this conversation about love taking place. In that conversation, Jesus says, follow me. Peter immediately, right after that, he turns and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's the author of John's gospel here. The one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And so when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this other guy? How many of us are like that, right? You know, Jesus is saying, I've got a verb for you. There's some important work for you to do in God's kingdom. Your past failures do not define you and my ability to use you going forward. Do you love me? I have a mission for you. And we're having that one-on-one, heart-to-heart with Jesus. We've just had breakfast on the beach. And what do we do? Well, 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 Jesus, what about him? What about her? And Jesus 
doesn't even like validate that question. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus, what's this other guy's future hold? What are you going to do in his life? How are we going to use him? How do I compare with this other person? Hey, Peter, you worry about you. Let me worry about him. You follow me. Man, how prone we are to lapsing into this competing, comparing, you know, seeing how we measure up to another follower of Jesus. And that's precisely the hurdle that gets in the way of us obeying his command that he laid out pretty clearly in John 13 and reiterated in John 15. A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And and how did Jesus love? Well, he laid his life down, he tells us, here in John's Gospel. That's what he's calling us to to do and to practice in our interactions with one another. And the the antidote to that love, the the opposite of that kind of love, what, what will kill that love faster than anything else is to get dragged into this competing, comparing, one-upsmanship that, that Peter is indicating in his words here that Jesus has to rebuke. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Peter, you follow me. And so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Okay, because remember, Jesus had given some prophetic message, some foretelling to Peter of a martyr finish to his life, a martyrdom finish, that he would have to lay his life down for the sake of the gospel. And then Peter's saying, well, is this guy going to have to suffer that same kind of fate? And Jesus says, none of your business. You follow me. But the rumor got started that, oh, well, because Jesus said, uh, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? then that must mean he's not going to die. And yet it says right here, Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. So don't presume that about the author of John's gospel. And then in verse 24, we we get the, the big reveal of who we're talking about here. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Someday we'll get to hear all those stories when we see him face to face and we'll get to fill in the details. In fact, um, his Holy Spirit is, is made available to us to continue to reveal his truth to us as Jesus promised in John's gospel, and as he said to the disciples and breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. So we go to his word together. We continue to have those face-to-face interactions with him and to hear him telling us who we are and most importantly, those command words that clarify our focus as we look into his eyes and the comparing and the competing fall away and he looks at you and I and he says, you follow me. What's he calling you to today, this week, this school year, this season in your life. There's a verb that he has for you. And despite your past failures and shortcomings, despite your tendency to look across the aisle 
or the room at someone else and compare yourself to them. He's looking at you and saying, do you love me? I have a mission for you today. And as we uh, prepare to take communion, let's respond with openness. You know, we didn't really get a, a good picture of Peter's response, but let's come to him and say, Lord, we come to you with repentance. We come to you with a reaffirmation of our love for you. We come to you with thankfulness, joyfully entering into that work that you have for us. Why don't we stand together in his presence and then we're going to take communion in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy of gathering together with your people to listen to you, changing our hearts, to shaping us, to being glorified in our lives. God, thank you that you don't hold our past faults and sins over us. You don't constantly and daily remind us of those things that should and do bring judgment upon us. But Lord, thank you that you remind us again and again of your great gift of love poured out on the cross. That as we take communion, you didn't command us to do this in remembrance of our sin, to do this in remembrance of our denials, but you, you command us to do this in remembrance of you. And so today we focus on your love we know that you know us, that you love us, that you call us your own. That, Lord, you're, you're the one that has forgiven us and cleansed us. That your blood was shed. It was the sufficient payment for our sins. That we're no longer defined by those past mistakes. There's no need to compare ourselves to one another. And today we respond with joy, with, with thanksgiving. That we affirm our love for you, that we receive that command that you give us to follow you, that we invite you to continue your work of bringing wisdom and knowledge into our hearts and lives as we grow in Christ-likeness. We take that mission that you have for each one of us and go now to feed and tend and care for those that you've entrusted to us this week. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for communion here, you do not need to be a member of our church to join us in communion. The only requirements we have are what Scripture has, that you be a follower of Jesus. So if you're still investigating the claims of the gospel and you're kind of wondering and checking it out, you're not, uh, this isn't for you. This is a, an opportunity for you to observe and, and kind of continue to watch and learn as you seek uh, clarification on who Jesus is. But if you are a follower of Jesus, whether a member of this church or another church, we want to invite you to come to the tables now and take a uh, a, a symbol of Christ's blood and body. And then when, once everyone has had a chance to be served, we'll return to our seats and then we'll give thanks together and take that together in just a moment. So let's go ahead and make our, ways, our way to the tables now and do this in remembrance of him as we give thanks together. Um, your bulletin has some good information about things happening in the days and weeks and months ahead, so make sure you take a look at that. Just a couple things to highlight for the youth. There's two things I want to uh, bring to your attention. This Wednesday is the date of See You at the Pole. That's not any pole that's a specific pole. That's your school flagpole. And so how many of you are planning? You've already, you're already aware of See at the Pole. You're making plans to do that on Wednesday. Okay, a few of you guys. All right, I know that we've got, um, I know there's a group at Grandview High School that's going to be meeting prior to school and um, Colorado, or Community College of Aurora. Um, I've, I've been to some See at the Pole events where there was only one student out there. 
um, on that on that Wednesday morning in September at the at the school flagpole, and that takes some courage, some boldness. Maybe at your school you don't know if anything's happening. Well, you can get something going. So you can stop at the uh, youth table to get some information. Go to uh, the the See at the Pole website and find out how, how do you coordinate and organize it. It is a student led um, prayer meeting that you'll be you won't be all alone. Uh, nationwide, worldwide, you may be all alone at your school unless you recruit a couple of Christian friends to join you there. Um, but it's just an opportunity to gather with believers and uh, join with uh, believers all, all around the world to pray for your school, your teachers, your classmates, your community, our nation. And it's a great way to start out the school year. It could get something started at your school where it, this could turn into not just a one one, uh, one, once a school year event, but something that you could uh, continue on weekly or bi-weekly there at your school. So I encourage you to check that out, be a part of that. The other thing for the youth, looking ahead to October 13th, that's the date of our annual fall chili cook-off, and that's the big youth fundraiser for the year. It's also a great time if you've never been to the chili cook-off. Um, there is some, some info there in your bulletin. Um, but what that is, is you can sign up already today on, on the youth table. If you have like some secret family chili recipe, um, or even just a can of you know, stuff off the shelf at King Super, uh, you can enter your, uh, your chili into the, the, the pool of chilies that will be voted on for the best flavor, consistency, texture, you know, all those different criteria that uh, goes into a fine chili. Spice, you know. There's also, uh, so maybe chili's not your thing. There's also a pie and dessert competition that goes into that as well. So you can sign up if you would like to make a chili or a dessert. Sign up at the youth table. Oh, what is this now? Yeah. <clears throat> That's another announcement, I guess. Yeah. So... This doesn't relate to the chili cook-off. That's my youngest daughter, by the way, that somebody gave her a Broncos cheerleader outfit. Yeah. And I'm, from, I'm a cheesehead, if you don't know that. I'm from Wisconsin originally, so it's going to be a, a rough day. Uh, might just be a real long sermon today. We'll see. We'll see how the score looks at about noon. All right. So chili cook-off, don't miss out on that. You can sign up. There's other, if, if you're not into baking or cooking, there are other supplies that, that you could purchase to provide to make it a fun day for, everything, for everyone. And then make sure you mark your calendar to plan right after church on October 13th to head out to Watkins to Rod and Sue Lang's house there. And uh, great time of fellowship, good, good chance to get to know some people from church that you haven't met yet, good, good opportunity to invite some friends to come. And then what you do is you vote for your favorite chili or uh, pie, um, and, and it's a different kind of ballot that the youth ministry uses. There's no dimpled chads or, or any of that sort of thing. You actually vote using currency, and so you just literally put money in to vote for your favorite chili. Maybe our politicians can learn something from that technique. Um, but then that, that all goes to help support the youth with their camps and retreats throughout the year ahead. Um, so talk to uh, Jenny Hobbs uh, back at the Run in the Words today if you've got any questions, or Aaliyah also will be, I think, helping out to, to uh, take sign-ups today, so make sure you're aware of those things. And then uh, Ladies Ministry has uh, something big happening this week, so I'm going to invite my wife Heidi to come and just give, give an update on, on that event on Saturday. Okay, ladies, if you were here last week, don't close your ears, but you probably already heard this. Um, if you were not... 
This is especially for you, okay? We have some big things happening right now with our women's ministry. First off, we just started up our ladies' Bible studies again for the fall. There's still time for you to join in. We've only covered one week of study, so you're not really behind. So um, see myself um, out at the table back there, or there's sign up. Um, a clipboard with a sign-up sheet. If you put your information down, we can contact you. Um, we have um, Bible studies on Tuesday nights from 7 to 9 and Wednesday mornings from 9 to 11. So whichever time slot works for you, we are studying the character of God. Big topic, really great digging into God's Word. And then we have a really special thing coming up this Saturday. And ladies, just in case, it's not too late. You can still sign up today for our women's retreat. This is going to be a really awesome opportunity to get together with other women from our church. Dig into God's Word, spend some time in worship. And especially if you are kind of new here at The Way, we want you to be there because this is a chance for you to connect with other ladies and get to know each other. All right? Sounds great. We'll see you there. All right. Okay, the last thing I want to highlight, and there, there are other things there in your bulletin, but in your bulletin there's a little insert that I would really appreciate if you would use this as your uh, prayer reminder for the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to invite Pastor Mark and Brady if they would come on up and join me because the three of us are heading out to uh, Asia on Thursday to work with our uh, Asia ministry partners there, and you can take a look at the information about what specifically we need some prayer for. But it's a pretty exciting connection between our church and some people that are serving the Lord in a part of the world that's it, where it's difficult to do that, where they, they face persecution and, and opposition. So we re really want to go to be a blessing to them, to help serve them, and also to learn and to, and to grow and to be stretched ourselves as we see what does it look like to serve Jesus in a place where there's persecution. And so we really would, we need your prayers. You know, this is not going to be an effective uh, use of our time if, if it's not bathed and saturated in prayer and if God's spirit is not working in us. So please be praying for us. In fact, we're going to invite you to do that right now today, if you would. So whoever, let's invite the families to come on up and join us. They need some prayer as well while we're gone. And then whoever would like to, to come on up and just lead out in prayer for us, we'd appreciate that.